maybe that's why you came today. You want a little bit of wisdom from heaven. I mean, our Sunday experience is designed to help you, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, to take that next step. See, we believe whether you're just curious about God, maybe you just have come today out of a courtesy to a friend or family member, or maybe you're actually exploring, genuinely searching to discover if there is a God and if you can know him, or maybe you've had an encounter with God. You've actually chosen to follow Jesus and he is guiding you in your life. Wherever you may be in that journey, I want you to know there is more that God has for you. You have not arrived. Perhaps you've stalled out, but there are some things that you can do to experience the deeper expression of what God has for you. It takes being intentional. But see, too often we really only pursue God in the midst of a crisis. Do you remember the pandemic? Still get a twitch when you think about it? It was remarkable. During the pandemic, there was a University of Copenhagen study, and there were 95 countries where there was an increase exponentially of people Google searching for prayer. In the midst of that crisis, as cases went up, so did the number of searches for prayer. People desperate to figure out how to connect to a God they had forgotten all about. And see, we could fall into that if we're not careful, where we see prayer as a last resort. Well, we want to encourage you in this new year to actually see prayer as a first priority. Do you know that there are actually 600 prayers in the scriptures? And then if you add to that the 150 psalms, that's 750 prayers. Prayers that we can go to that give us the words when we don't have them. There's a great uh, pastor, author from New York City who recently passed away named Tim Keller. He once said, prayer is so great wherever you look in the Bible, it's there. Why is that? Because everywhere God is, prayer is. And so we're ending our series today talking about wisdom, a prayer for wisdom. And in many ways, this is kind of launching into our entire next series. By the way, as a quick aside, next Sunday is the throwdown. Before we kick off this next series, wear your green next week. <laughs> if you've never been to the throwdown, it is one of our favorite Sundays of the year. There's an epic battle, me and Kenny Green this year and Julia versus Carlos Ortiz People from the north, Haley, Matt, and they're all wearing blue. So wear your green next week. We're going to have a lot of fun. There will be games and food in the lobby and even during halftime. Peter versus Sulinda here at Gateway South. It's going to be great. And if you have friends or neighbors or coworkers that you've always wanted to invite and you're not sure if they would like it, they'll love this. So invite them next week. And then the next week we'll start talking about wisdom. It's a series called Timeless, which, by the way, those friends, neighbors, co-workers, they need that too. We all do. But today we want to end this series with a, a prayer for wisdom. How do we connect to the wisdom of God instead of wandering and trying to figure things out on our own way? How often do we seek God in these decisions in life, especially the ones when we're unsure of what to do next? 
Is our first thought when we need wisdom to go to God, or do we text a friend? Or do we go online to see what our favorite influencer might have to say on the subject? Or maybe we do go to God for help, but it's more of a directive. We tend to tell God what to do. Or maybe it's more passive where we just say, your will be done, but we don't actively engage in that relationship with God, asking for wisdom, choosing to live wisely. See, we need God's wisdom to help navigate the nuances and complexities of life. But what exactly is wisdom and why should I ask for it? Well, there's a difference when it comes to biblical wisdom of what this truly means. Wisdom is actually truth applied in context. It's not some flash of brilliant insight. It's about knowing the truth in context combined with the discipline to act on that wisdom. This definition implies certain premises that we must be clear on if we're to pursue wisdom. So we must acknowledge that there is truth. Counter to the trends in our culture, truth is something that we don't just determine or discover within ourselves. Rather, we can find truth as we pursue the creator of all things. You know, we hear in our culture that that's my truth or speak, I'm speaking my truth. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and their truth doesn't match the actual truth truth? And, and I'm not saying we should diminish the importance of each person having a voice and sharing their perspective. That's really at the heart of it. But that word truth has become a little squishy. And in reality, we must acknowledge that truth is deeply embedded in who God is, how he created the world, and how he has designed us, designed in his image to live in this world. Proverbs 3 says it this way. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. So we can see this truth found in the very first pages of the Bible. There's a design and an order to which God created the world in a right and best way to fit in it. But we must acknowledge that the world does not operate by God's design. So life is messy and complex. In many ways... Wisdom was lost in the garden. In the first pages of the scripture, we see that God in his love gives humanity freedom, but in that freedom, we chose to go our own way. And we can get mad at Adam and Eve and blame them, but in reality, each and every one of us chooses to go our own way. God's wisdom does not come naturally to us. We're bent towards defining right and wrong for ourselves instead of surrendering to God's definition. And as a result, the world is not as it should be. We're not as we should be. Whereas certain decisions should be quite obvious. We shouldn't have to wonder, should I lie on my taxes? Should I cheat on my spouse? But some decisions can be more difficult to figure out. And we can get so out of whack and out of touch with what is true that we can actually make decisions that are destructive to us and to others. And so I want us to look today in the scriptures at the story of Solomon. He was flawed in many ways if you track his journey in the Hebrew scriptures. But at the very beginning, he actually seemed to 
defy what most people would do in a certain situation. He was still known for his wisdom. Many think he's the author of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, some of the wisdom literature in the scriptures. But we see in 1 Kings chapter 3, he had just assumed the throne of his father David. David, known as a man after God's own heart, had conquered nations and united the 12 tribes under a united monarchy. And God had promised him to never, that he would never lack a son that would sit on the throne. And it's into that Solomon emerges. No pressure. Right? And it's important to know that right off the bat, Solomon loved the Lord. He was walking in the statues of his father David. From the beginning, his reign seemed to start in the right place, connected and rooted in his relationship with God. And so when God appears to him in a dream, he makes a simple and yet astounding request. In verse 5, God says to Solomon in this dream, ask for whatever you want me to give to you. The God who created the universe out of nothing just handed Solomon a blank check and said, there's no limit. What do you want? How would you respond to this? Some of you are thinking, just give me a minute. Hold on. I, I, I got something. It'll come to me. Now, Solomon's response is baffling. He doesn't ask for what you might think an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old would ask for. You would think they might, he might have asked for wealth or power or military strength, although those do come as a bonus. But without hesitation, he says, you have shown great kindness to your servant. My father, David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart, you have continued his great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. In his conversation with God, he starts with acknowledging God's goodness, God's faithfulness. When we come to God, are we aware of all the good gifts he's already given us? Do we come with a sense of gratitude? Then he continues, now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. What we see next is Solomon acknowledging his own limitations. He's young and inexperienced, and he's very aware of that. And so he starts with a level of humility, recognizing his need for God. He's off to a wise start. And finally, Solomon gets to the answer. So verse 9, he says, So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? In that moment, he asks for wisdom. What would you ask for? This passage uh, reminds me of a really kind of amazing moment. When Deborah and I met, it was her family visiting our church. It was the summer of 1991. Before Al Gore had invented the internet, the Cowboys were good at football. It was a different time. <laughs> and her family walks in, and the first person they met was my mom, who was a greeter. 
And when she found out that Deborah was 19, she said, oh, my son is 19. Oh, and here he comes. And she introduces us in that moment. And so I take Deborah up to the class that we had for college students. I introduced her around. We visited a little bit. She discovered I was interested in becoming a pastor. She didn't tell me at the time that she had felt called to be a pastor's wife. We both, I talked about liking snow skiing. And then during the actual class, this was the passage. And the guy leading the class had us write down what we would answer if God asked us, what do you want from me? And then he collected all of our answers, and then he read them out. And there were two people who had written wisdom. And so in that moment, Deborah thought, aha, maybe we're the two that followed in asking for wisdom, just like Solomon. And now I knew the story. I knew what he had asked for, but that is not what I had written down. <laughs> and Deborah, on our very first day of meeting, she turns to me, kind of in a lull in the conversation, said, what did you write down? And I looked at her and I said, a wife. And she turned beet red for some reason, and I didn't know why at the time. Only to discover that she told her mother later that day that I think I met the guy I'm going to marry. Now, I wasn't thinking quite that way because I actually had a girlfriend. <laughs> and then once Deborah became my girlfriend, she told me that I am way too friendly. <laughs> She thought I was making moves on her that day. I was just being nice. <laughs> little did I know that in that little college class on that summer Sunday when I was asked, what would you ask for from God? I asked for a wife and she was sitting right next to me. What would you ask for from God? What I, what I love about asking for wisdom is that actually helps you for the rest of your life. Which, by the way, if you do have a sense of, of wanting to be married, having the right person is certainly important. Because it does affect the rest of your life. But in many ways, Solomon starts his reign so well. He asks for wisdom, for a listening heart. To be able to discern right from wrong according to God and his ways. Solomon's humble request reflects all the premises that, premises that we just talked about. He acknowledges there is truth embedded in who God is. How he's created the world and how we should live in it. But the governing this people is messy and he needs God's wisdom to know how to do it all. The request pleased God, and so he became wiser than anyone who had ever lived. And then in the very next scene, in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3, is one of those stories that is legendary when he practices his wisdom. Maybe you've heard this story before. Two women come to the king. They need someone to be the mediator. They both had babies and one of the babies had died and one of the women had realized that her baby had died so she switched with the living infant and the, the mom of the baby who was still alive was claiming that that baby is mine by the way mothers can tell even when the rest of us cannot so Solomon was 
charged to determine whose baby is this. Is it the one who's holding the live baby claiming to be hers? Or is it the one who's saying, no, that's my child. She's took from me. And he says something that sounds kind of diabolical. I know. Give me a sword. I'll cut this baby in half, and then you can each have a half. Yeah, that's not what you expected, is it? And then the woman whose child it truly was said, no, 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 let her have the baby. The other woman said, that sounds like a great idea. And Solomon knew then the woman who would rather see the baby live with someone else was the one whose child it truly was. See, Solomon began his reign. And it says this in verse 28. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had the wisdom from God to administer justice. This young man had tapped into the wisdom of the creator of the universe. The scene shows us wisdom in action. His wisdom showed up in making the right decision given the information he had. My guess is he never planned to use that sword. Of course not. It was his way to determine the truth. We see one important aspect of wisdom on display here. Wisdom is contextual. It's not black and white because life and people are messy. Do you ever come across moments when it's hard to know what to do? As we read in Solomon's story, God gives him the wisdom that he's requested. God is a source of that wisdom. And we have access to that wisdom when we connect closely with God. Here's another confirmation about wisdom. God is pleased when we ask for wisdom and pleased to give it. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. 1 Kings 3, 10. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem church, wrote a letter clearly drawing the wisdom from God as what we should access. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. See, wisdom must continually be sought after. 1 Kings 3.14 says, Walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, and I will give you a long life. Solomon wrote these words in Proverbs chapter 4. So he knows better. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. We never arrive and get our fill of God's guidance in our lives. If you need more wisdom, pursue God more. Praying for wisdom, reading the scriptures, and getting to know God's heart, his character, his wisdom will guide us. But here's the thing you need to realize. Walking in God's wisdom will often look foolish to the world. Sometimes God will ask us to forgive when others will say that we need to take revenge. God's kingdom and his ways are upside down and look ridiculous to the rest of the world. He might call us to deny ourselves when the world is saying to indulge. Walking in wisdom also requires courage. Going against the flow. Choosing a way different than what others might choose. 
One of the biggest hindrances to our pursuit of God's wisdom to be aware of is the pervasive influence of technology and social media. In his recent book, Digital Liturgies, author Samuel James makes this bold observation. He says, in the online age, our default is to lose touch with reality. Every person living in a modern, digitally connected culture is constantly inhabiting a moral and intellectual habitat that distorts the biblical story of reality. We can find ourselves just going to our phone rather than going to God. As I've shared with you before, I've gone on kind of these fasts, one fast in particular, five weeks off the internet. It was unbelievably difficult. Do you know how hard it is to find some place without GPS when you're completely used to it? And yet in those five weeks, what I noticed without accessing the internet, without accessing my phone, worries and fears and things that I have avoided dealing with were percolating to the surface because I was no longer too busy, too distracted to deal with those. And I was able to take some of those thoughts and worries and fears to God and find healing in ways I never would otherwise. But the other thing we need to know is that walking in wisdom requires community. We need others in our life to help us in this spiritual journey. We grow up in a culture that's incredibly individualistic, where it's all about us, even when it comes to God, if we're not careful. It's all about me and God, when in reality, when you say yes to following Jesus, you are now part of his family, and that family can be a great source of wisdom. This community, as my wife Deborah and I have been here for the last 13 years, our Children have grown up here. It's this community that's helped us grow, that's helped us navigate so much of what it was like to raise teenagers, to navigate the ups and downs of life. You know, Sundays are really just the beginning. I, I like this phrase I've heard once before, that Sundays is more like an advertisement for our community. I mean, coming on Sunday, you can certainly be inspired. There are things that happen in the service in the lobby in the time of prayer during the time of singing that that God can do that that we can't experience by ourselves at home on on our own but if this is all you're experiencing you're missing so much of the beauty of what it really means to be connected to live connected to have others who know you and people that you know and that's why you'll hear us even in this new year talk about the importance of finding a group if you're not in a group i want to encourage you to find one i'm going to give you just a, a few quick examples so that you can jump in these have start dates and end dates if you're just exploring god still or even new to your, a walk with god i highly encourage you to jump into what we call alpha starts this wednesday night or maybe you want to Go a little bit deeper. You want to understand how to read the scripture. We have on Monday night, a week from tomorrow, how to read the Bible. And on Tuesday nights, we have something called God's redemptive story, where you can begin to see the big picture of what God is up to and your part in it. These are opportunities I want to encourage you to take advantage of. We even have something for fourth and fifth graders. You see, fourth and fifth graders are... An interesting group because they're still kids, but sometimes they don't feel like kids. 
they, they act more like teenagers or wannabe teenagers. That's about the same time when a lot of kids will say, I don't want to go to church anymore. And part of that's because they don't like being in elementary with all these first and second graders. They're just a little bit cooler than that. And we've designed something to help take fourth and fifth graders even deeper in their walk with God. It's called Born to Lead. When we first moved here, this was one of the things that my daughter was called something different at the time. But my daughter went through and I could just see the change in her of being challenged to make her faith her own. These are opportunities I want to encourage you to jump into. Because here's what we'll discover. Walking in wisdom produces good fruit. Look what it says in James 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Verse 317 goes on to explain that the wisdom of God, when we ask for that, this is how we know it's from him. His wisdom is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. See, life is messy. It's not black and white. We need God's wisdom to navigate the complexities of life. We face difficult decisions, challenges all the time. I want to encourage you as we finish this series, as we begin a new month on the calendar, to really pursue God and let his wisdom be what guides you. You know, today is a really special day. It's a gorgeous day, perfect day to celebrate baptisms. And we have several that have prepared and planned, brought friends and family. Maybe that's why you're here, to cheer them on. And I want to encourage everyone that can to just stick around and, and cheer for them. And maybe while you're waiting for the baptisms to start, you can go to the little groups expo right across to find which group you're going to be in this season. Or maybe you're here and, and you hadn't planned to get baptized. I want you to know, baptism is a beautiful symbol of what Jesus offers us. When we say, God, I need what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. I need your forgiveness. I need you to lead me. His forgiveness is real. It's so hard to explain what it feels like when you no longer have shame. You no longer wallow in regret when you can experience that level of love unconditional love and forgiveness that water represents being washed clean but it also represents being raised to live a new life if that's a decision you've made to follow jesus and you have yet to show the world that's happened in your heart perhaps you would like to be baptized as well we have a team that will be right outside by the little baptism tank. If you want to talk to them about getting baptized, you can do that. But how I wanted to end our time today is a little bit different. It's a prayer that we say every Monday night at Restore, where we go through the 12 steps to find healing from our hurts and hang-ups and habits. And I want to actually close our time in prayer together. Prayer will be on the screen. It's called the Serenity Prayer. And I just would love for you to, from your heart, 
pray this with me. Kurt will come up right after that and give us a few other thoughts about some next steps. But if you would, let's just say this prayer together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next.